0: What are you going to do when all you've had for breakfast is tears following a late-night snack of sorrow? That's how one writer <clears throat> approached the text that we're going to spend some time in this morning. That might <clears throat> be way too accurate for some of you. It may overstate the matter a bit, but the fact is that we are not immune to discouragement or Um, or things that press in on us and weigh in on us. In fact, we know that all too well. Well, what if I told you that there is a way for you to deal with discouragement as a faithful follower of Christ? That's what comes out of this text this morning. And I invite you to think of that as you hear these words read as you follow along as we consider them, we're, asking, we're going to ask God to show us today what it looks like to deal with discouragement as a faithful follower of him. Hear God's word. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to my God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Someone uh, once said, we're in the series of psalms, as you know, for the summer. Someone once said that psalms kind of come at us like Hershey Kisses. Um, All nicely and tightly and uniquely and individually wrapped in this foil. And that's how we uh, pick up a psalm and how we read it. We read it and then we may pick up another one and unwrap it. There's There's a structure to this whole book of psalms that we don't have time to explore today. That's a tease. They're not as random as we treat them. But you'll never make that mistake with these two. Psalm 42 and 43. That's why it's referred to psalm 42 and 43 it's we don't know why they were separated at any one point but it, you may have heard even as we read today a refrain that holds these two together in a unified whole we know it's a song and we know it's <clears throat> to be sung we know it's a prayer that's what these psalms are Someone said once that the Psalms are written to awaken us, people like me, who aren't sure what they're feeling at any one given moment, (laughs) because they were written to us because we were made with emotions and feelings, and to enable us to express, God's people to express their emotional life. It's not instead of, it's in addition to the thoughts. John Piper said, poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions and thoughts. So we step into this, we sing these words, and, and we do so together. And one of the, what we find here is a couple of themes that, that make up this psalm. And the themes are these. The themes are life-crushing troubles and well-aimed words and with the time that we have we're gonna I'm gonna try to unpack that the life-crushing troubles of this man are expressed in three forms of isolation we'll just start there there are many there are a lot of things going on but there's at least three forms that that might be called isolation and I think if you're anything like me you're gonna find yourself in one or more the first one is a A spiritual isolation. That's how the psalm starts. If the psalm, if the psalm ended with verse two, we would take that like some of us may have and put it on our wall and as a verse to orient our lives to spirituality, longing for God, praying for Him. But when you read this psalm, you see that that's a desperate cry. There's nothing. There's an agony. It's not just spiritual aspiration. There's an agony to this psalm coming right out of the box. It's a spiritual isolation in that God seems inaccessible. And my guess is, you know what that feels like. There are parts of your story that I haven't heard, maybe some that I have, and some that you've told one another, some that you've never told anybody but some times and places where your, your posture is such that God just seems inaccessible. When a believer is depressed, that depression almost invariably results in a sense of spiritual desertion. Because we've known something of the smile of God, and yet that's not what we sense and taste and experience day after day. For some of us, the smile of God was so long ago, we've forgotten what it felt like. There's that spiritual isolation here, but it's important to recognize that he's expressing his feelings, which is something that we need to do, how we come at it. We don't pretend to be different than we are, but it's important to note and to remember that there's a huge difference, night and day, between feeling isolated feeling forsaken and being forsaken we'll come back to that but there's a spiritual isolation look in verse four there's apparently a physical kind of isolation He's separated he's in a place in the geographical terms in verse four are in the northern part of what was one nation at one time one group of people and now they're separated there was this split the division between north and southern kingdoms you may remember and he's writing at this point. Seems that he's living, and he's he's positioned in the northern part. And it may be that after this occurred, after the separation, and he is no longer allowed to return home by the edict of the king. Either that or the Babylonian captivity. But regardless of whatever it is, he is separated. There's a physical isolation. And you can tell from this that 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 there is something that was true that is no longer true. Did you see that in verse four? It sounds like he used to be one of the Levitical singers in the choir in Jer- in Jerusalem, the temple. That's part of what it sounds like. I used to lead the throng to worship. That was the role of a Levitical singer. But whatever it is, whatever his circumstances is, he's homesick. And some of you know what it's like to be homesick. Maybe it's that you're physically separated from family right now. Uh, People that you love and know and care for are not nearby. And they're there and you're here and that's hard. A spiritual isolation being feeling forsaken by God. A physical isolation being away from things and people that matter to homesickness. But there's a social isolation as well. You can tell from verse 3 that it's clear that he had no friends to confide in. In fact, the people around him were taunting him with words like, that you've heard. So where is your God? Where is your God? I see your circumstances. Where is your God now? There's a, there's a f- social isolation that he doesn't have around him those friends, those brothers and sisters who will remind him of the truth, instead he's being taunted. Very lonely. That's a lonely place. It's lonely at the workplace, isn't it? (laughs) When, even if the words aren't spoken, the word, the the message is conveyed, or the school. So where is your God? Those are life-crushing troubles. Those are real things. And that's one of the reasons I love the Bible, that it's so real. It's so straight. It's talking about things that we experience. And the symptoms that go with it, we recognize. This This guy is restless. He's lacking the, the peace and the poise. He can't relax. He's, he's irritable or fretful. He's, he's overstretched emotionally. He feels lifeless. He feels like... An emaciated deer, that's that picture from verse 1, an emaciated deer looking for water and the watering holes, it's not found in the normal places. It's not there. There may be times, friends, when you've come through those doors and left. And, And the water wasn't there. Not that it wasn't proclaimed or celebrated, but you know what it means and feels like to be isolated from God. Forsaken, homesick, lonely, we know about that. We know that all too well. There's something I don't want you to miss, that I can't miss and let you miss as well, that it's possible. It is possible, and here's a, a case in point. For a Christian to be seeking to walk with God, to live in faithfulness with Him, and yet sense that God is distant, and to be downcast in spirit that's possible and it may be your story to the room this size you're there There, it's it's part of what it means uh, to live in this world but what's remarkable about this passage among others is this passage illustrates that possibility but it also shows that the problem is not sin in this case there's no confession of sin there, that's not the story in this episode. That might be the story. Read Psalm 32, Psalm 51. There are times where that's the issue, but it's not here. It's just God is... Huh. What's really crucial is to watch how the, um, the psalmist handles this. And we're about to get to the second part here. He... he in verse, verse 1 of of Psalm 43, he cries out for vindication. And the point I want you to think about there is that's very natural. (laughs) It's very natural to, to, to want to be vindicated or to be justified or to things to be made right or for the unjust to go away or for the mocker to be silenced. That's very, very expected. And the, the fact is, you don't need a psalm to teach you to pray that way. <laughs> but you know what? You know why you need a psalm like this? To see that that's not the only way you pray. In fact, I would, might want to suggest that it is what he does, but it is not the main thing that he does. There's one verse there, but there's many more that we, we step into, and we want to learn something from it, and this is where we find, in the midst of life-crushing troubles, his well-aimed words. And I want to invite you with me, think about your context, your story, your discouragements, and bring into those circumstances some well-aimed words, and we're going to learn from him. Today, he's our teacher, the psalmist. The first group of well-aimed words are when he speaks to God. I mean, that's what prayer is, right? And we can borrow his words and we learn from his words. Listen to this. I love this. Bono said, Abandonment, displacement is the stuff of my favorite psalms. The psalter may be a font of gospel music, But for me, it's in his despair that the psalmist really reveals the nature of his special relationship with God. Honesty, even to the point of anger. I like that. It's recognizing that God gives us psalms when we don't even know what to pray. We borrow those words, and in our despair, we can use these words as our own, and boy, do they fit. But our friend Tim Keller reminds us, too, that if God is not the starting point when we pray, then our perceived emotional needs become the drivers and the sole focus of our prayers. That's helpful to me, that God is the starting point. That's where where the conversation begins. It's with him and to him, and it's about him, because I don't even know what my needs are. I know what the circumstances are, but I don't know what I need. And I come to him, and, and, and as he comes to him, there's a, there's a way that he processes that's got... Four, I don't think these are four steps, but there's four elements to his prayer, just real briefly. The first one is he pleads his case. Look at verse, t- verse 9. It looks like, and it feels like God has forgotten him, or, or verse 2 of 43, that, that God has rejected him. And he's saying, why God? And you know, God gives you that word to pray to him. Why? That's a gift. Why God? God gives you that gift. He pleads his case. But he not only pleads his case, look at verse 8. He sings his hope. Uh, Verse 8 of uh, 42. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and as night his song is with me. The picture that he gives us here is he's in his, his... He's in the midst of these life-crushing troubles and he's singing a song. God's song. But it's a pleading song. He's not there yet. He's borrowing words of covenant love, of steadfast love, and in the midst of his life-crushing troubles, isolation, he's pleading in song the very same way I'm guessing most of you do every Sunday. When you pick up these words, the hymns that have been prepared and rehearsed and performed, laid in front of us, we borrow words that aren't our own and rarely, that rarely match the heart that I've entered this room with. Right? And that's what the psalmist is doing. He's borrowing the song of God in his circumstances and singing a pleading song. He's pleading his hope in song. He pleads his case. He sings his hope. And then look at verse 7. He affirms God's sovereign love. Look at that closely again. Deep calls to deep at the water of whose waterfalls? all whose breakers and whose ways have gone over me. He's recognizing that the things that make up the circumstances of my life have not come from the blue. <laughs> They've not come from out of the blue. They've come from the hand of God. You know, we could probably stop right there to recognize that the things that make up our lives come to us after first passing through the fingers of a loving, sovereign God. And we don't understand that in all its fullness because there's so many life-crushing troubles that are hard to square with what we have come to expect from a God who, on record, has pledged his love and died for us. But in affirming that these come from God, it becomes the ballast in this man's boat that keeps his boat from crashing, from sinking. It's recognizing, I don't get it, I don't like it, but I'm accepting that this comes from you, and I will sit down. I will not stop crying to you, but I will sit in it, because you intend something in this. He pleads his case, he sings his hope, he affirms God's sovereign love. And then what I think is probably the turning point of these two psalms, verse 3 of 43, he implores God to send his light and truth. Did you see that? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. There's where his hope is found. It's in the light and truth that comes from the one who made him. And he knows that's what he needs. He knows that there's a sense in which he's sitting in the dark. And maybe that's why it's as confusing and as depressing and discouraging. Let your light come. Let your truth come. Psalm 119.30, you can look at that later. Psalm 119.30 reads, The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Have you ever have you ever watched a flower unfold? I mean, how long does it take? How long do you camp out to watch that flower unfold? Sometimes the unfolding of God's word takes time. It takes patience. It takes a personal discipline to. Not sit and watch a flower unfold, but it is, but the picture is still the same. We, we ask God to bring his word into our life and we have to look and look and pray and pray and discuss and study and listen to him. But the unfolding of God's word gives light. And one of the things that does when that occurs is that you become, we become less susceptible to life crushing discouragement some of you know that because you're older or have lived through that doesn't mean the pain of what you lived through was any less but on this side of that pain you've got a story to tell of God's faithfulness and the unfolding of his sovereign covenant love and what that means is that the next time discouragement and despair comes along the low is not as low there's a gospel poise that becomes ours where the lows are not as low and the highs are not as high at the same time because we know they're all a gift they're they're all fleeting as well and there's a gospel poise that forms in us with the unfolding of this redemptive story and this unfolding picture of the lavish love of god for us as that unfolds has that unfold for you Or is that still a flower that you're staring at, a bud? Our hope week after week around this table in the proclamation of his word is that it's an unfolding story where the light comes on and and it doesn't flicker quite as long before it goes out. And, And then it comes on again. That's what we find here. Uh, a man who pleads his case, sings his hope, affirms God's sovereign love, and he implores God to send out his truth and his light. And then he not only speaks to God, who else is he talking to? Himself. A friend of mine once said, <clears throat> You know, we've got to keep reminding ourselves of these things because this stuff leaks. <laughs> it leaks. And we have to remind ourselves, and you need to remind me, and I'm reminding us, but we remind each other. But here, he says, he he recognized that he had made the mistake of allowing his discouragements to dictate his mood. And boy, I'm, I'm good at that, and I'm guessing you are too. Allowing discouragements to dictate our mood while all other voices, including God's, have been forced to listen. And now it dawns on him that discouragements have no right to have the last word. And he begins to speak. And here's our refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? What's the deal? Listen. And Martin Lloyd-Jones put it like this. And I love this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. Just think about that. Where did those come from? You've not originated them, but they were talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking to you. Who is it? Yourself is talking to you, he says. Now this man in Psalm 42 does this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why? His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. (laughs) It's, It's a picture of the fact that these things leak. And it's recognizing that there is a truth around which our life is ordered that needs to be reordered. You know that's really what happens every Sunday when I come here, and probably you, it's a reordering of our lives again around those things that are true and beautiful and lovely. And it doesn't take long for that to get haywire and out of joint and out of alignment. But it's this reordering that he's doing himself, where he focuses his own thinking and he says, "Soul, have you forgotten who God is? Hope in God, and I shall praise Him in my salvation." The the the. Three refrains look the same, but I have a hunch they sounded different. I have a hunch that by the time that we got to the third refrain, there may have been a shift. Maybe it was a shift from a minor to a major key. But there is hope there in those very words. Can't you hear it? Why are you downcast over my soul? (laughs) <laughs> what, what, what have you forgotten? Hope in God. There's where life is found. That's what begins to not, ex, not explain away your circumstances, but it gives you a poise to live in the midst of them. That the lows are never so low and the highs are never so high, but there is a, there's a poise that is mine that allows me to rest in difficulties and even Hardships. The bottom line is that the takeaway from here is that there are many reasons to be discouraged. But there are better reasons to be encouraged. And we see two of them here. He sees the first one. When he turns his soul gaze to the altar of God, look at verse 3, 4 of, of 43. Let your, remember this? Let your light and truth bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God he turns his gaze to the altar of God and we've got a better picture than he did. You know, Jesus knew this psalm. He sang this psalm. He, he would have recognized the language of rejected and forsaken by God because there was a moment where that's exactly what happened to him forsaken and rejected. And he would, have, he would have recognized the place of the altar and the purpose of the altar in the life of the people of God. And he said, I will go to the altar. But it will not to be in order to worship. I will go to the altar to by laying down my life as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That work will crush that altar so that there is no more altar. This is a table. This is a table of fellowship. It's not an altar where sacrifices are made. There is, as Hebrews tells us, that we have an altar, and his name is Jesus. And he was crushed that we would not be by those life-crushing troubles in our lives, because those are not the final word, friends. There is a final word, and the final word is an altar that's crushed by the love of God for you. And when that becomes vivid, and that's the second reason, it's, he begins to see it when he turns his soul's gaze to the altar of God, but he grasps it when he tunes his heart's voice to sing the song of God. And there we are again. The, the, by day the Lord Yahweh commands his steadfast love. That's the covenant love. That's the steadfast, unbending love. It's the music of the gospel. There's music of the gospel pointed to in this song of what is ultimately a lament of sorts. But there's a music that we make our own because of Christ for us. Let me wrap up (coughs) this way. Finding our way to God involves some well-aimed words. For some of you... Those words include acknowledging that the other ways that you have opted to deal with discouragement do not work. Resolution to the discouragements of your life are not found or resolved with a bottle or a needle or a pill or an illicit website. Those are fleeting, failed attempts to deal with the discouragement that we all know too well. It may include seeking the Lord, as Isaiah puts it, while he may be found, calling upon him while he's near, asking God to send his light, his truth, to unveil the truth of who he is so, so that we behold not just words from God, but the word made flesh. And that's where our hope is, in discouragement, in trial. It's recognizing that there was one who, who was thirsty, just like the psalmist was thirsty, and who, 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 who took upon himself all of those things that separate us, that, that fuel the discouragements in our life. Christ took those upon himself, and there will be a day when all of those things that distract and distort and divert us from the love of God in Christ are banished and they will be no more. But until that day, we have hope in him and we can, we can look to. Him. So for some of you, it's words of recognizing that other ways don't work, but for all of us, it, it may mean reassessing our circumstances in the light of who he is acknowledging that these waves that that have crushed the shores of our lives come from him and that he intends good and by inviting the unfolding of his word and truth in our lives and when that light illumines our hearts even if our troubles deepen (laughs) instead of lessen when God's beauty and glory floods the, 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 the room of your life You will then be able to embrace the one who embraces you and drink from that spring of water that the psalmist was looking for but that is yours in Christ. Drinking from that spring, parched throats in discouragement, Christ comes near. And we know with the Apostle Paul that nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ. And here's a table to prove it. Pray with me. Father would you work the truth of your word into our hearts? Would you meet us in our circumstances and discouragements? And would you flood our hearts with the light of the gospel and the truth of your word that while our circumstances may not change any day soon that because of our union with Christ and the life that is Him that we live with joy and with abandon longing and waiting for the day when all things are made new and until then we look to you by faith in the righteousness of Christ, our Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.